Hey guys, so as promised, here is the bonus episode uh, where I talk to Amish atheist Kenneth Kopp, um, and this episode actually comes from my previous podcast from uh, 2016 called um, My Secret Atheist Podcast. So um, I cover, I mean, I cover a lot of the same points as... Uh, I covered in uh, in the newer podcast, in this podcast, but uh, Ken still goes into some details about uh, his actual conversion and deconversion here and, you know, what kind of laid some of the seeds of doubt with him when it came to religion. And so um, I thought it would be kind of interesting to add it in as a bonus episode. So... Um, yeah, I mean, give it a listen. Um, I'm wrapping it up in this uh, little thing here. You're going to hear the original intro and outro of the actual podcast itself back in 2016. So here we go. Welcome to My Secret Atheist Podcast. This week we have a very interesting episode. Kenneth Kopp will be on the show, and he is an atheist Amish. He actually lives on a farm with very little what, what we would call modern technology. We're going to be talking about his trip from theism to atheism, how the rest of the Amish community has reacted to that around him, and uh, a little about his everyday life as well, um, how he goes about his life living like an Amish person. So without any further ado, here's the interview with Kenneth Cobb. Well, I, I started with the, uh, you, you, the best way to say it is the Anabaptist faith. I, be, uh, I started in that faith or joined with that faith when I was around 20 years old. Um, and uh, that was a Mennonite faith, which is actually related to the Amish. They're all under the same canopy or umbrella of faith known as the Anabaptists, which began in the 1500s over in Switzerland and then spread to different other countries, Germany and France and the Netherlands and also in France. Um, and the name Mennonites comes from one of the prominent leaders of the day. His name was Menno Simon. Later, there was a hundred, a hundred years later, there was a split and there was a, a Mennonite bishop by the name of Jacob Amon, and he took a more conservative path in the church at the time and those that followed him were named Amish from Jacob Amon. So I joined with the Mennonites first and uh, got married in that setting. And later, as we had our family, we, we joined successively more, more conservative groups to the point where we made the step into the Old Order Amish and became members with them. So you were you were not born into the Amish community. You you actually joined the Amish community. That's correct. I was first born into a uh, a home that my parents were Lutheran, and when I was a young, very young boy at around six years old, they joined with the Pentecostal Church. I have an older brother that was. Um, only raised Lutheran, and later he converted and joined to the Mennonites, and he was a big influence in my life to draw me into the, uh, the Holdeman Mennonite Church, if any of our list, your listeners would know of the Holdeman Mennonites. They're scattered across the Midwest and across the U.S. and some in Canada as well. Uh, and that was my first goal, to be part of them, but then that didn't work out, and I joined with the more conservative, what I call Amish Mennonite group, groups that have their roots from the Amish background, but became more liberal. And then later I joined directly with the, um, with the Old Order Amish themselves. So I've been with them, I was, before my deconversion, I was with them until 
I guess, I guess for around 32 years in my life. It's my understanding that you were raised in a sort of a very conservative Christian family to begin with, and then yeah. after that you uh, moved uh, with your brother, or, or you were influenced by your, your brother, and you actually joined um, a, an Amish an Amish group, and you remained Amish for, you're saying, 30 years. Correct. So now you actually consider yourself, or, well, you use the, the name um, Atheist Amish or Amish, Amish Atheist, which, uh, after talking to you, I think is, is probably um, absolutely, uh, absolutely precise. Um, I mean, not that it's up to me to decide how you should label yourself, but, uh, I mean, uh, it seems to me like based on my discussions with you, you're, you have maintained a lot of the Amish lifestyle, if you want to use that word, um, but you've simply um, jettisoned your, your belief in God. You've lost your belief in God. Correct, correct. It, it, it's, it's a real oxymoron to say Amish atheist since it's sort of mixing fire and water and uh, uh, as far as the Amish are concerned, they don't consider me Amish, but the fact that I retain some of my Amish ways, such as driving horse and buggy, uh, dressing largely in the, the same attire, uh, yeah, I feel kind of puts me in that category. And I do have much appreciation for various various ways that they do still um, uh, live their lives. But the faith, yes, like you say, the faith is basically altogether gone. Uh, I don't subscribe to such superstitious, uh, primitive uh, belief systems. So, I, I guess the closest analogy that I can think of, and I think I brought this up in a, when we discussed earlier, was um, I, I actually know several Jews who are secular Jews. So, they, they are culturally Jewish. They, they do... Um, they do all, you know, all the. Some of them even even actually go to temple, but others they they just they just go through the you know the bat mitzvahs and the bar mitzvahs, and uh, they just simply don't believe in God, but they they appreciate it from a cultural point of view. Yeah, well, I wish I could do that with the Amish. Although the Amish are quite different, uh, uh, as I've said before, if you if you can't drink the Kool Aid with them, then you're pretty well. Uh, ostracized from them. So I have been excommunicated from the Amish, and they won't eat with me. They they shun me. They, uh, they'd they rather not do business with me, um, although that's been uh, something that we worked on because of, of um, equal rights in this country as far as when they have public places of business. But otherwise, yeah, they, they, they do shun me, uh, and they don't really want me to be with them, unless I would attend church, they would welcome me to come to church, hoping that I would hear their their preaching, their gospel, and and turn around and repent. But I have really no interest in that. So it, it's different. Uh, you know, I, I'm not accepted in like when they have community work days to help build somebody's barn. They don't want me to be there. Uh, so it's kind of sad because I miss that part, that that community part of working together, which is so wonderful, and what a lot of people respect about the Amish, how they can uh, help a neighbor whose barn is burnt down and build it back up in a very short period of time, and all with with uh, voluntary help, and it's just an amazing, amazing uh, system that they have, but unless you can really, you know, accept every facet of their doctrine... Uh, you just can't, they just won't accept you. You're, you're pretty well out. So tell me a little bit about your, your past. Uh, I mean, your upbringing at 30 years as Amish. In, in, I mean, what, was it just like that? Was it a day and night thing where all of a sudden after 30 years you, you said, well, wait a minute, none of this makes any sense to me? Or was it more of a, I guess, more of a typical thing, more of a, more of a voyage or a trip? That, that you took from, I guess, strongly believing uh, in the in the um, articles of faith 
towards um, towards being an atheist? Yes, it definitely was a slow process. Um, I I had by the time we were had uh, relocated to an old order Mennonite group, which was uh, this might be confusing to the listeners, but there's quite a bit of overlap over the years, and there's been split divisions. And so generally, while Mennonites are considered more liberal, there are actually some old order Mennonites that are more conservative than most old order Amish. And that's where we were last with until we moved um, to where we are with, there is actually an old order Amish group here uh, where I live. But uh, in that group, it was sort of the ultimate. They were very extremely... um, uh, uh, against uh, modern technology, uh, we didn't even have any engines whatsoever. Uh, everything was done with hand or horsepower, so we ran our shops with horses. In fact, I still do that mostly. Um, although the Amish around here generally use big engines, diesel engines to run their shops. Um, and it was there that I saw um, some, well, as a family, we ran into quite a bit of hypocrisy uh, amongst the uh, accepted families, and we were sort of newcomers there, and and I don't know why, but we just ran into a number of problems, and it discouraged the family, and and uh, I finally was persuaded by the family that we needed to do something, and we did move out. But the hypocrisy there was unsettling, and and caused the person to somewhat rethink his his um think rethink things. But there was also other challenges. On various fronts, um, there was a, a Mormon neighbor that we had that did some driving for us where in, in most of those old order settings, they allow their people to use a car, or not use a car, but have someone drive them for distances that aren't as possible uh, by the horse and buggy. Like if you need to go to a doctor a great ways off in distance, then you can hire an English driver, I mean a non-Amish or a Mennonite driver to take you there. And this this particular family that helped us out in that way were, were Mormons. And one time on, a, on the way uh, to, a, to a doctor's appointment, uh, I noticed that the, the lady that, that drove for us in her van, she had this big, thick Bible. And I didn't know why it was so thick, because she wasn't Amish and she didn't speak German, so she didn't have a... a, a um, a, a German-English Bible, she just would have had an English Bible. And when I asked to borrow it, I looked at it, and here was a copy of the Book of Mormon and the King James Version of the Bible, which I should notice was my favorite version. That was the version I thought was the true version of God's Word. And and it astounded me. It was a beautiful Bible, uh, one that I could have loved to own myself, but yet it had this terrible Book of Mormon in it, which I consider to be total a total falsehood and full of contradictions. And then it just struck me then, well, if I'm so critical of the Book of Mormon, would my own Holy Scripture stand up to the same test? And at the time, I, I just sort of, the, the thought went through my mind, and, I, and it grabbed me, but I let it go, and I didn't really pursue it. But then later, when we moved to the present location we are in now, uh, I, I came across the, the, the group here is much much more of a free-thinking type of Amish than I ever found elsewhere, and I was amazed at their broad-mindedness. In fact, one of the ministers, when I was struggling with my concept of God and if God even existed, I, I finally had to talk with somebody, and I asked him privately, did he ever have struggles with God, the existence of God? He said, yes, he did. And in the course of the conversation, I found that he had even read some of the writings of Richard Dawkins and and uh, Sam Harris, which totally astounded me. I mean, it I just wouldn't have thought anybody would have done that. But but he, he had then read apologetic books, uh, Christian apologetic books, which seemed to turn the tide for him, and he was he was through that struggle. Uh, I never could get through that. He actually gave me some of those apologetic books to help me through my struggle, but it only uh, increased the, the problem for me. Uh, one example was the one book, which was the rebuttal of Sam Harris's book, The End of Faith, called The End of Reason by Ravi Zacharias. Toward the end of the book, though, he made a rather uh, fine argument, uh, seemingly convincing argument. At the end, he said, what we need to have simply is faith. He said, when the priest uh, blesses the wafer and, and the cup of wine, 
We just need to have faith that it turns into the actual flesh and blood of Jesus. And that just really floored me, because even our Anabaptist forefathers, many of them died at the stake, being burnt at the stake, simply because they believed that that was symbolic and not truly a miracle change each time the priest blesses it. And I said, well, that just that's just it for me. If you have faith, you can believe anything. And just faith is just not a reliable guide. And then from there, I... Uh, I began to rapidly lose my faith. You were telling me uh, when we spoke previously as well that when you first became Amish, uh, when you when you converted over, because you weren't born into that faith, you you found that typically speaking, maybe generally, okay, there there is this phenomenon where. Um, the people who convert to the faith kind of go harder at it than people who are born into the faith. Right. There's a tendency to take for granted what you've been raised with and not be as serious. And that's the why there's often this pattern of, of slippage uh, down through the generations, uh, the typical scenario of the, of the preacher's kids, uh, that they tend to be get away with more things than what other children's uh, get, get away within the same church, and then that's that's the catalyst for change. And and then as the church slips or uh, or backslides or or, or uh, what's another term, just just becomes more liberal. Then you'll have those, of course, that will stand up and say, "We've got to stop this." And if it doesn't stop, we'll split off. Splits are splits come then, and then you have your different divisions. Uh, and so those that are convinced. And have joined into a faith, they're, they're, they've, they've, they've had to think it through more. And they have an agenda. You know, like for me, I didn't want to have anything to do with my Pentecostal background because by that time I felt that they were compromising the Word of God. Uh, they, they didn't take Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount properly, where he said to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to turn the other cheek. Instead, they would allow their members to join the military, which I felt was quite contrary to the scripture. Or there might be other teachings and passages like uh, women preaching. Clearly, the, the New Testament says women shouldn't be silent in church. Most Protestant churches today allow that. Uh, the Amish and Mennonites, at least the conservative Mennonites, uh, totally would not allow such a thing. And then, of course, women have to wear the head covering as taught in 1 Corinthians 11 and many other such like commands that that the liberal or what I call um, um, uh, nominal Christian churches, anywhere from Catholic to Lutherans, Episcopalians, uh, those type of Protestants, Methodists perhaps, are, are, quite, uh, are quite liberal compared to what they used to be in years gone by. So that was a driving force in my life, is to get away from that apostasy as much as possible and, and come to the real... Uh, foundation that at the point that we avoid the, the slippery slope of, of, of apostasy. Yeah, and you were telling me actually that um, you had a move, um, I can't remember if you told me if it was Virginia to Maine, or anyway, you had a move to the, uh, to the East Coast. The group there, you said, tended to be a little more liberal, and that's what kind of um, encouraged you to start thinking perhaps a little more outside of the box or, or comparing your religions with others. And uh, right. whereas the other ones might were a little more comfortable with their um, cognitive dissonance, um, because you joined the Amish faith with this, um, uh, I guess, requirement or expectation of logical consistency, correct? I mean... Right. It it That's just started correct. failing, right? Once you you, you went yes. to the to the logical conclusion, whereas others were happy not going there. Correct. Well, it was sort of a journey in that uh, I I was seeking the ultimate, and when we we moved actually from Virginia to Missouri, uh, the reason for that move was a lot of different reasons, but one of the main reasons was our particular settlement in Virginia was disbanding. There had been church trouble, and most of the families were moving to another Amish settlement in Wisconsin. 
And we chose the one in Missouri, actually, it was an old order Mennonite group that was recommended to us. And uh, they were an ultimate conservative group uh, in as far as ultimate uh, conservative, how can I say, um, uh, stand against technology compared to most Amish groups in that we didn't have any engines to run our shops or such uh, type things. We used horse powers where horses would actually be harnessed and go around in circles or work on treadmills and run our machines or hand power. We used the crosscut saw. No chainsaws were allowed. And I, I had, uh, I should uh, preface this, that one of the reasons that drew me to the Amish was actually largely on a concerned basis of living a life, as I would have said then, in, in harmony with the creation. I became more increasingly concerned about our role as human beings in the effects we were having on the planet. Uh, and uh, so I became what I dubbed myself in as a Christian environmentalist. And I saw the Amish or the Old Order people as, a, as an expression embodied within the faith of, of this uh, being more uh, in harmony with God's creation. There, there are precious few scriptures in the Bible that support that view. Most of it is a dominion-type doctrine, but there are a few verses that would indicate that, that believers should not destroy the earth. And so I latched onto those and I found the Old Order people to be the best expression of that. So that's why I had joined with them. So this ultimate group in Missouri that, that didn't even use chainsaws were so much further removed from the use of fossil fuels, and it was just just what I wanted to do. But then we ran into some problems there of, of tremendous hypocrisy in, amongst the group by some of the main leaders in disobeying their own rules and restrictions. And it was obnoxious to me, and I began to become disillusioned, and my family did as well. And uh, long story short, we had a falling out with them. They excommunicated us, and we had to find some other place to go. So in our search for, for a fellowship, we located this one here in Maine, and with the hopes that we could get things straightened out once we came here. But then and upon coming here... Um, I, I sensed a, a different spirit amongst the Amish more than any other place. They, they were much more able to think things through. They, they questioned things. And while, of course, they had their limits, they, they didn't take it so far as to even question God, although I wonder sometimes if some of them didn't, uh, like especially the minister that I mentioned of, but that was a brief struggle that he got through. Uh, for me, it was something that I couldn't, once I started questioning, I couldn't stop, especially after that little experience with the Mormon, Book of Mormon and Bible together that made me think a bit. And then after moving to Maine and, and getting that more spirit of, 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 of self-inspection of my own faith and plus the discouraging experience of the hypocrisy that we had, that we had found and met with face to face in Missouri, all just together culminated in a in a in a in a total questioning of, of from the very to the very basic roots of my faith. Is this really true? Is this really really what it should be? And for the very first time in my life I I began to read the Bible in an objective way. A word I didn't even know what that word meant until I looked it up, but I, I that's what was happening to me. I was looking at it from an outsider's point of view, as John Loftus would say it. And I was just astounded. I, I just like I think Seth Andrews has said he, he can't understand how, why it took him so long to see it. But it was because of the indoctrination from childhood up that we were just blinded to that. And we were taught, of course, never to question the Bible. That was, that was forbidden. Uh, that was heretical. But once I began that path, I, I was unable to stop questioning. And then my, my, what, what, what held up my pillar of faith, all those pillars just, just began to crumble. So in the Amish community, are atheists even on the radar? I mean, or or, or is this concept? A, I mean, because I've I've spoken to some Southern Christians, for instance, and for them, atheists they they didn't even know what the word was. Like it it, it was totally foreign to them. Well, certainly in the community now they know about atheism because I they know clearly that I I do. That is my um, that is what I call myself. Uh, but it's it is a rare occurrence. Most uh, people that leave the Amish 
they generally gravitate or migrate to a lesser uh, conservative group, say like mainline Protestantism, Methodist, often Baptist. I, I, I'm actually on a Facebook page now that's called Ex Amish. Uh, I'm not sure the exact title, but it's, it's made up of ex Amish people. And it's amazing the posts they will put up uh, saying, like, uh, repent for Jesus is coming soon. Uh, they're very charismatic, uh, almost Pentecostal and Baptist. That's often where the, the non Amish or the ex Amish go to. They don't really leave their religion. Although there's been at least one person I know of that that has actually come out as an atheist, but it's it's more of a rarity. If I may make an observation, it, it it seems almost like one of the driving factors for you joining this uh, very back to nature sort of um, low carbon footprint um, uh, group is perhaps what you. It's like you've kept that, the thing that maybe drew you towards it, or portions of what drew you towards it, but you got rid of um, the the religious factor, the, the factor that was, I guess, you, you always inevitably ran into problems with um, logically, because you're, you're, you have a questioning mind. It could be that some of these other people who leave the Amish faith, I mean, everybody has their own stories, I'm sure, but um, I wonder how many people are are perhaps leaving the Amish communities. They're leaving the ver- some of the things that keep you calling yourself Amish, you know, the lower interaction with the troubles and the chaos with modern society. So that's just an observation. I don't know how much of it may be true. I think it's quite it's a quite accurate observation. When we when the Amish moved into this area in Maine, they they've only been here for about seven years. Uh and there's a large uh environmental uh movement here in this part of Maine. Uh it actually is the home of one of the largest uh, and oldest uh, uh organic organizations in, in the country in the US. And so the people were very happy to see the Amish moving in because they were buying up old farms that were not being used anymore, and they were reviving them with small family farms. It was a beautiful thing to see. And we were interviewed different times and asked the question, you know, what what did the Amish think about organics and, and how does that relate to the organic movement? And I would usually answer them that that the Amish are not doing what they're doing, like, living, driving horse and buggy, not using the car or using less fossil fuel ways of living because of their concern for the environment. Generally, they're, they're, they're coming up from a different angle, and the, the environmentalists and the Amish are sort of meeting by, by default. Uh, the Amish are doing what they're doing because they believe they need to be separated from the world. They need to be away from the evil influences of TV and radio and Internet. Therefore, they, they forbid the use of electric, and they also want to live a, a austere or simple life that, that encourages good work habits, and they don't see any reason to get rid of the horse and buggy because when you have the car, it tends to scatter the community, whereas the horse and buggy keeps more of a close-knit community. So all those things is the reason why they, they live and continue as they do. Tradition is very strong amongst them, um, whereas the environmentalist people, of course, are coming from the outer society and, and somewhat disillusioned by modernity, modernity, I should say, and, um, and, and want to live away from the fossil fuels, but they don't have the belief system in place. The Amish have a, a very rigid belief system, religious belief system, where the others are more coming from. Well, this, most of them aren't very religious at all, at least here in Maine. Some are, but not, not many. So that's, that's, yeah, that's for me. That's why I I like the Amish way of lifestyle because I joined them for that purpose. Uh, to within my my frame of framework of, of religion and faith, it was the closest thing I could come to to express my faith coupled with my concern for God's creation, as I would have said at the time. It's like you've kind of beaten your own path. You've 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 taken your own path, and I'm just interested in maybe a little bit about your your daily life. I mean, 
I, I guess my point of view of, of the Amish is, is probably very skewed by the media. So um, I think of people who, you know, never use telephones, who never use, who, who always ride in buggies, who, who never ride in cars, right? Um, and it, it seems like there might be more of a continuum going on. And I'd like to know about maybe that continuum and also uh, where you fall on that continuum now, because obviously, I mean, you're, you're speaking to me on an, on an iPhone right now, right? Yes. Right. Correct. Correct. <laughs> yes. As far as the technology and communications, I have definitely adapted, uh, probably because of my great desire to learn, uh, being amongst the, the Amish and Mennonites for so many years without television and radio, which at the time when I left my family home where I grew up with TV, I was so tired of it. I, I wanted nothing to do with it. And to this day, I'm not really excited about TV. However, I, I have found a passion for, for good music. Uh, as you see in, in the conservative Mennonites and Amish, there's no musical instruments used, uh, just the acapella singing. And uh, in some of the stricter settings we were in, they were not, we were not even allowed to have wind chimes. They were forbidden. Uh, no, no chime clocks that, that chimed out of Westminster chime. Those were all forbidden. So once I began um, loosening up, and it was an interesting occurrence to come here to the Amish church, and they did allow wind chimes, but no musical instruments otherwise, uh, that it, I, I was already after being, going through the struggle of, of, that we had had with the hypocrisy and, and the church struggles. And the wind chimes were just a soothing, a soothing experience to my soul. So I, I do like that, and, and also communication with my fellow man, and to learn, I, I found such a, a plethora of, of information on on the internet, uh, as everybody knows. And of course, it can be about too much. But for me, I'm I'm grateful, and I do a lot of studying. I listen to a lot of audio books as I work. It's been a great experience. But 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 Amish communities are not, uh, as far as getting back to your original thought, are not uh, frozen in time like a living history museum. They're not trying to portray the 1830s or 50s or so forth. They're, they're simply trying to intelligently uh, choose, in the light of their faith, that of technology which will benefit or not benefit them. To give an example of that, in the ultra-conservative Old Order Midnight Church in Missouri that we were part of, while they would not allow any sort of internal combustion engine, they and, and no electricity and no no not even phones. You had to go to town to use the payphone if you needed one for business uh, emergencies. Possibly use the neighbor's phone, but no phones were allowed. No phone booths, nothing. Despite that ultra stance, they they uh, and, and you know electricity was not allowed in any shape or form except for uh, batteries for buckies because they felt that was a safe. Uh, a safer way to have electric lights or flashers and turn signals for their buggies. Actually, they didn't have turn signals there, but they had flashers. And um, But they did, uh, one thing that came in as we were living there were these uh, battery headlights <clears throat> where that you could just do your work with your headlight on. It was much better than a kerosene lantern. And for a time, I resisted that because I wanted the old-fashioned ways. I didn't want to slip into using much electricity. It just came in almost without a fight, and I think because it was just so convenient. And finally, I, I reflected on the fact that carrying a kerosene lantern on one hand while trying to balance a, a fork full of hay in the other as I was doing my barn chores was really not safe. Uh, you know, something could happen, the lantern could overturn, and the barn could burn down. And I finally gave in to it. Uh, and, I, of course, I love a headlight now. <laughs> but then, then there's different groups have different you know, levels of, of conservatism. The group here in Maine is much more relaxed. They have turn signals and buggies. In fact, any sort of lighting that you wish to have to make it safe at night with high-speed traffic is acceptable. Uh, they use bicycles uh, in there, and the bicycles were allowed, and that's a whole interesting subject that would take too long to explain here. Uh, they, they have engines. Uh, you can use diesel engines. They have compressed air, so you can use compressed air air tools in your shop. Uh, you can actually uh, have battery lights like these uh, portable work lights, and they actually allow some battery drills to be used. 
but that's where they draw the line, nothing other further than that. So it all depends on what the group decides at the moment, uh, where they want to draw the line as far as their, their separation from the, the world, quote-unquote, as they call it. So in a sense, I mean, I guess the basic strategy is uh, indeed some sort of se- separation or, or cloistering or, or protection. So yeah. the, the fact that you're using, I mean, the Internet seems like the ultimate, that's the ultimate level of connection with the rest of the world. Correct. That's correct. And, and, and that is usually uh, all the uh, Amish and the conservative Mennonite groups that I'm familiar with would, would uh, forbid the use of Internet. Uh, where we first started with, uh, with the Mennonites, or where I first started with and where I joined and married, uh, that particular group now does allow cell phones, but they're they're not connected to the internet. They're not they're not allowed to have iPhones. Uh, right. Just a simple flip flip phone, and they can do texting with it uh, and make phone calls. Uh, but that's about the extent of it. And the reason for that is is simply as as uh, as obvious. They don't want their people to be exposed to everything that's on the internet. Uh, and uh, you know, lose lose their their moorings of their faith. In fact, I should expound on that just a bit more. Uh, all the conservative groups that I've been with, they have their own Christian day schools, so it's under complete control. They have their own teachers that they they hire from amongst their own people, and they only go to eight grades. So, and and all the books are screened for such uh, heretical. Um, Teaching such as evolution—that's that's totally forbidden, or anything that would that would contradict the the concept of the Bible being the inspired Word of God. So it's it's a very controlled situation. Uh, you're very much in a in a bubble of existence as far as your knowledge and comprehension of the world. Hey guys, so. It's at this point of the conversation where we kind of went so far off the bunny trail that I simply cut it out for the sake of length and continuity. So we're going to resume the conversation at a point where Kenneth tells us about a friend of his who is atheist and who he was trying valiantly to convert over to the faith, but the opposite situation ended up happening. Based on what you told me, um, you met this fellow who who is an atheist. You felt, I I guess, because because you were very faithful or or very religious at the time, either you felt uh, the calling or you felt... uh, you felt the duty to uh, attempt to convert him uh, to uh, the faith. And what happened instead was, um, in fact, uh, the opposite. Uh, he, he probably had an influence on you, which uh, uh, opened the, the floodgates for investigation and free thought on your side. Right. In fact, at one point, he was became quite worried for me, and he, he, he complained to me. He said, I'm just, I'm way too open. But I, again, in my faith toward God, felt like, well, God's going to keep me, and he doesn't need to worry about that, and and I wanted to pursue every avenue I could to help my friend to to the knowledge of the truth. See, in my previous, earlier years, before I even joined with the Mennonites, in the Pentecostal movement, I was extremely dedicated. And uh, as I went to high school, I was actually dubbed a Jesus freak. Um, I was the type of person that wore, uh, back in the 1970s, a, a one-way, a finger pointing upwards toward heaven, and I would put the words, one-way Jesus. Uh, and anybody I had a chance with, I would give them a gospel track or try to witness to them. So I was really one of those soul-winning uh, Jesus freaks, uh, the type of person that, as Dan Barker has been said of Dan Barker, you wouldn't want to sit beside me in the same seat beside me in a, in a, in a bus <laughs> going somewhere because I would more than likely try to figure out a way to get the conversation going and try to uh, try to help you to, to, to Jesus as I would say um, so I, I had that although the old order people were not nearly as evangelistic as, as the Pentecostals or the liberal Mennonites I still had that 
that inclination within me. And so, being as he was my friend for other purposes, I just naturally wanted to share with him what I thought was the best thing for him. Maybe it could also be, and and correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it seems to me like uh, you have a strong interest in discovering the truth, so that you you have yeah. you have a uh, a keen um, desire to um, establish what you know what what's real, what's true. So yeah, um, it's, exactly. it's I mean, of course, I mean, uh, some uh, there there are there are atheists as well who who uh, who will do similar things. If you believe that the world is a certain way and you you know that someone else is mistaken, I mean, if if you sincerely respect that person, um, you're going to feel a pull to try to, uh, you know, make them see the truth or, or bring them to right. the truth. I, I, I have very much that uh, nature of being an activist, uh, whatever it might be. Uh, if I feel passionately about an issue, then I, I just bubble over with that. And I have to be careful that I present my concerns to people in a, in a, in a way that they can receive it. It's like my father used to warn me. He'd say, Kenneth, uh, remember, you can draw people a lot better with honey than you can with vinegar. <laughs> And uh, I've had to learn how to uh, be much more moderate in my approach than just in your face in whatever case, whatever issue I might be presenting. Switching gears here, I'm kind of interested again. I, I guess I'm still fascinated uh, with your with your uh, your day to day life. Do you? Uh, I mean, I I know you use a you must use a, you you use a cell phone. Um, Perhaps you use a computer as well, um, so that means you yes. you do have electricity going to the house. Do you, I mean? Do you cook? I mean, microwaves, stoves. Where where does it uh, where does it go? Right. Well, um, I actually had not wanted to get onto the grid myself. I had I, I I was concerned about the way power is produced. If it's a sustainable way, mm -hmm. uh, hydropower, solar power. Uh, maybe even wind power uh, might be some good ideas. I especially like solar, uh, but uh, coal-producing or nuclear-producing power plants was very, I felt, was quite destructive to the to the earth, and so I want to stay away from that. But I, I'm a furniture maker, and I needed to make some changes in my wood shop, and I wanted to have better quality tools and more consistent power than my horses all the time. So I envisioned using solar panels and um, having a treadmill that the horses would walk in to also generate electricity. And, but in the process of making the changeover and remodeling section of the barn for a nice shop, it, it, I ran out of funds. So I, I've had to hook up to the grid to run that shop. And it has been a benefit in various ways. So I still have a, a wood cook stove. Um, and the cook stove heats my water, so I have no water, electric water heater, and it works exceptionally well. I'm used to that way of doing. We we did have a submersible air pump in the well, but I changed that to electric now for various reasons. Um, and we heat with wood. Um, in 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 that showroom part of the shop, I built it without electricity, so we use uh, electric uh, portable battery lights to to see our way or to light the rooms when we're there. I no longer use kerosene lights. I, I began to develop a... a, uh, um, a respiratory, uh, right? I, yes, I think yeah. it was possibly because of my, my, my many years in the wood shop and the dust mm -hmm. began to make me sick by smelling the kerosene smell of any sort. And so once we moved here, see, in the Missouri church, we weren't allowed any battery lights like that, uh, and so when we moved here, they were allowed, and I just, I just completely uh, adopted them uh, from day one when we were here. I was very happy with that that uh, liberty to have, and so I've stuck with that. Uh, we, we don't have a flush toilet; we have a, a composting toilet. My girlfriend and I are are very. She, she's also environmentally concerned, and so it's it's a composting toilet so that you not much water is used, and then you compost the waste. And it, it can be great fertilizer in, in the field. Uh, uh, and uh, it's, it's a wonderful system. I, I've 
worked with it for a number of years now, and it works. So in those ways, it's sort of a mishmash. But then when it comes to uh, communications and technology, I, I, I find it so advantageous. Like for my business, I have a website that, that helps me to be able to advertise and to get the word out in a much more effective way and a, and a much more cost-effective way than trying to print expensive catalogs. Um, What's the, uh, so that's kind of the balance that I'm trying. I'm trying to find that balance in life. And since I don't have the, the religious restrictions, I also enjoy various media productions. Like I, I love a good movie. Um, I, I've learned to, even though we were taught in the, in the conservative Amish faith that acting was, was actually sinful because it's wow. being someone that you're not. See, Satan, they, they look at Satan as he, he, he was an imposter there in the Garden of Eden and as a snake in the form of a serpent, and he made, told a lie to Eve, and then she brought the lie, and that's why sin came upon the whole human race. So acting and such was considered uh, hypocrisy, and there was no such thing as acting allowed amongst those, that religious setting. But once I began to realize that acting is basically very good storytelling, and that actors actually have to work awfully hard to do what they do, uh, I began to become enamored with 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 this, and and I just I'm a great movie fan at this time. I don't I don't like television. I I don't have a television set, but but I do enjoy uh, to watch a, a good quality movie. You're welcome. You're perfectly welcome to share the URL if you'd like for your for your business. Sure, it's uh, locustgrovewoodworks.com. I do have a small blog on it. It's basically business oriented. I am actually working at this time on an autobiography, uh, it, it struck me that I have had a rather unusual journey compared to most. I, I, I wasn't raised Amish, so it wasn't the typical uh, story of the Amish. I was a convert. And then I had this journey from the conservative Mennonites to an even more conservative Mennonites car church to finally the old order horse and buggy Amish and then to the old order ultra-conservative horse and buggy Mennonites. And finally, back to the the Amish, more liberal Amish here in Maine. And finally, of course, to no faith at all. So it's been a rather rather unique and, you could say, almost bizarre journey. And I felt like perhaps other people would be interested in hearing that story. So I'm in the process of, of writing my story and hope that maybe, perhaps, it will be a help to someone. Someone that's struggling, someone that, you know, that, that needs to see that there's actually, in other words, what we look at in, in the religious, from the religious viewpoint, uh, and I remember talking to the Amish bishop in Virginia that I was struggling, but out there to be without God, it looked like all darkness and blackness and scary, and, and we didn't certainly want that. But I, I've come to realize after I had left the faith, it was a time, of course, that I was bewildered and felt like a, a rudderless ship floating in the ocean, but as I studied more and connected with various podcasts, such as the Thinking Atheist podcast and other good books, like from Richard Dawkins or, or um, oh, many others uh, out there, um, John Loftus' books, I, I began to find a, a group of people that were, were happy people, that were joyful, and that had a whole different outlook on life, and that really helped to establish and get me back on track from being depressed to that I have something to live for still. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, I I would be looking forward to this uh, autobiography, and I I would be happy to put it on the blog and put it on the podcast based on on what I found uh, on the web. Uh, your story, I, I just simply had to have you on the podcast because uh, I I don't know how many how many people. Uh, have have such a, an interesting story and and have have decided to like the way I see it you've you've basically taken the best of all of your experiences and and you've taken the best parts of your your life that you've found so far and you've kind of crafted them together into a uh, into a, a a balanced life that that really works really works for you and is also consistent with um with your critical and uh, free-thinking free um, mind. 
so this is this is uh, I think this is all pretty much all the time we have, uh, Kenneth. Uh, I'd like to really thank you for being on the podcast, um, and uh, you're definitely welcome later on. Your story is truly fascinating. Thank you very much, John. Last night, happy as I could be, till that old preacher tried to take my wife from me, and he calls that religion. Well, he calls that religion. Well, he calls that religion, but I believe he's going to hell when he dies. Women fussing and fighting all across the land. Yeah, he calls that religion. Yeah, he calls that religion. Well, he calls that religion, but I believe he's gonna hell when he dies. Well, then the people stopped going, stopped going to church because they found out the preacher was trying to do too much. And he calls that religion. Well, he calls that religion. Well, he calls that religion, but I believe he's going. And when he dies, I'm going to go there too. Huh? Well, that's about it for this uh, bonus episode. Uh, so this actually was aired, as I said, back in 2016. Um, yeah, so let me know if uh, you want me to post any of the other episodes from the old podcast, if, you know, if they're related to the current guests, for instance, and I'll put them in. Um, meanwhile, uh, for this actual podcast you're listening to now, Share a Slice with Sean, um... Yeah, I mean, if you could go to iTunes, the usual bags are in place here, and leave reviews, or if you could, you know, give me a five-star rating on uh, Apple Podcasts or any other service at all, just let me know where you gave me the ratings. It would be super, super awesome. Very, very helpful indeed. Um, just let me know, you know, uh, when you do it, and I can mention it on the show itself. So uh, thanks so, so much for listening, and um, yeah, um, stay tuned in another 10 days or so for a brand new episode of Share Slice with Sean.